Hey, welcome in to episode 007, 007, the James Bond episode. Um, I got my buddy Deshaun here, came all the way from Cleveland. Yep. Um, he actually requested to be this episode. He's the first guest to actually want to come in here, so I'm very excited to have him today. Thank you for showing up. Oh, no problem. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me down. Yeah, so... How's how's Cleveland this this time of year? Depressing, honestly. Like <laughs> we're already going into seasonal depression. Um, it's cold. It's gloomy. It's winter time. Yeah. Yeah. This is the reason why I gotta move. I gotta get out of Cleveland. Yeah. Like you grew up in Cleveland, right? Yes, I did. Born yeah. and raised. Born and raised in Cleveland. Okay. Where like whereabouts? On the east side of Cleveland. The east side of Cleveland. Yeah. That's that's the uh, not so fun part of Cleveland, right? Uh. Growing up, I was always like we always moved like one step ahead. Like mm-hmm. my mom would always say, "Oh, this neighborhood's gonna be bad this summer," and so we would move one step ahead. So we kind of avoided some crime sometimes, but not always. Yeah. How uh, like what was what was the experience like growing up in Cleveland? Like you grew up in the rough area, yeah. All that like yeah. you living with your mom, yeah. Dad. Nope. No nope. dad. No dad. Dad. Okay. He would come in and out, but uh. Nah, he wasn't around. Okay. Well, what was that like? Um, it was actually pretty interesting. Like I said, so my mom always, she didn't want me to, she didn't want to lose me to the streets. Mm-hmm. So I have two older sisters and I was her only son. So I was the baby. Um, we actually have a pretty decent age gap too. So my middle sister is nine years older than me. And my oldest sister is 11 years older than her. Oh, wow. So my mother had a child in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So me being the only boy, and, you know, it got to the point where she couldn't keep moving away Mm -hmm. from the problems in Cleveland. So she tried her hardest to keep me off the street. And, um, I mean, I can say today that it worked, but, like, yeah, there were some times where you know, there was some questionable times, <laughs> but um, growing up in Cleveland, I definitely have to say I love it. It's made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could remember this quote, and I know I'm going to butcher it, but me and my friend or a old coworker, we say this quote to each other. Tough times make strong men. Strong men make easy times. Easy times make weak men. Yeah, actually, I think you got that quote right. I think I might have right. got it right. I think yeah. I might have got it right. So, yeah, I've heard um, that before. It's it's a good quote. Yeah. So, us both coming from, like, the streets of mm. Cleveland, you know, we want to make more money. Like, we love working in law enforcement, but ultimately the goal is to make more money and live mm-hmm. a better off life. Right. And we're like, so, yeah, we're strong men trying to make easy times, and it's like, how do we raise, or if or when we start having kids, how do we raise those kids so that they can also be strong, you know? Yeah. So, so you um, you lived, like, I guess in, like, the Red Line districts, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So Cleveland's actually pretty segregated. So Still to this day. Still to this day, for the most part. So the wow. east side is predominantly black. Mm-hmm. And the west side is predominantly Hispanics, uh, Puerto Ricans. And then on the outskirts, you start to like salt and pepper your way in until you're just completely sought. 
Like you get to certain suburbs and it's like you don't expect to see other black people out there. Mm -hmm. And then like the surrounding suburbs, those are the people that made it out of the hood, I guess you can say. And then the further out you go, the richer, the more off you are. Yeah. Why? I I don't know if you have the answer to this question, but like, why is Cleveland still like that? Like we're in 2021. So, and this is something that I learned um, in high school. So Mm -hmm. I can't remember what class it was, but I remember there was a teacher who had brought up to our attention. Like we came into the class and they're like, Hey, you can sit wherever you want. And so we sat down and we started talking and we probably talked for like a couple minutes. And then the teacher got our attention and they were like, okay, everybody be quiet. Stop and look around and see who you're sitting next to. And it was like, we weren't segregated because it was like the teacher said, Hey, blacks on this side, whites on that side. It was just like, but that's how it happened. And so the teacher explained, like, you guys aren't racist. It's just that this is who you grew up with. This is who you're comfortable with. This is who you typically stay around. Wow. So So, I I think that's why. I mean, also, then there's, you know, there's poverty and the cost of living that plays a huge factor as well. But, yeah, for the most part, you don't really hear too many blacks moving to the west side. mm -hmm. And I don't really know any Hispanics that live on the east side. Wow. So in that classroom, like the kids, y'all just sat down. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't a science seating. Nope. Like <laughs> y'all just sat down and yep. was like, I'm going to pick this seat. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with the white kids because I'm white. I'm comfortable exactly. with the black kids because I'm black. Exactly. And it wow. was like, so I went to Villa Angeles St. Joseph High School and you got a mixture of all of the Catholic elementary schools that their kids just went there. Mm-hmm. Like nobody really came from a Cleveland public school and went there. Okay. So some people knew each other from school. Some people might've knew each other from different schools, but uh, for the most part, we just split by race. Wow. And then throughout our four years, we integrated more. Like, you know, the barriers got broken down, I guess you can say, but we made friendships. There you go. Yeah. I was going to ask, yeah. like you didn't just stay with, you know, whoever you were friends with younger, like you started hanging out, like telling stories, whatever, like, okay. Like to this day, my two best friends from high school, the two that I talked to, like we're in a group chat, we talk every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Two that I just went to the Bengals game with or down to Cincinnati with last weekend, Mm -hmm. Browns Bengals game. Um, They're both white. Okay. Yeah. And they like, I don't know. Y'all don't treat each other differently. No, You're just not friends. At all. Just friends. I love that. Best friends. Yeah. It's so you've been. How long have you guys been friends? I have to say, 2007. 2000 and yeah, 2007. Freshman year of high school. Wow, that's a long time. It is. It is. And like, there obviously the group was bigger. Yeah. Like, there was four of us. There was probably about a good ten of us that hung out. Mm-hmm. And like, so we were powder puff cheerleaders <laughs> for junior and senior year. And um, we all hung out for the most part together. And then people, you know how people like start separating as like life goes on and develops. But yeah. uh, us three, we still hang tight. That's awesome. That's great. 
So what, uh, is there any like crazy stories that come to mind talking about this reminiscing of like your high school days with your friends? Um, let's see. So I'll tell this story. Um, there was one time, (laughs) (laughs) there was one time that, um, so (laughs) I promise I'm going to tell it. So there was one time where, so we smoked in high school. We smoked weed in high school. Okay. Um, and my friends were like, Hey, we should do some pot brownies. Now this is like 2010, 2009. Mm -hmm. And we're like, 16 so we don't know shit about pop brownies so (laughs) it's funny so like i said i was the token i was the token of the group we also had um a token filipino and a token asian so um but i was a token black guy to group so they're like well deshaun can definitely get the weed so (laughs) i remember of course i mean i could i lived in the hood so it wasn't a problem for me so i was like okay so I remember buying like, I want to say maybe it was an ounce or a half ounce of weed and giving it to one of the friends in a group. And he just, again, we're kids. We didn't know shit. So he <laughs> literally just grind up all this weed with a grinder, dumped it in some brownie mix and baked them. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, my parents' house reeked. <laughs> and I'm like, that's sweet. They're like, they, it reeked. Your parents knew what was going on. Like, yeah, you probably got yelled at, but nothing happened you know right because and that was another that was another like big thing that i noticed growing up black but and like being from the hood and having white friends like i could go over my white friend's house and drink as a kid in high school like they would have parties and it was okay but it was like that didn't really happen in the hood you know what what was the i guess what was the standard or stereotype in the hood at like that level you had parties like we had basement parties we Mm -hmm. had house parties like when somebody's parents went out of town somebody threw a party but there was no alcohol present like i remember playing pong in high school playing Mm -hmm. beer pong and this was like again we're young this was when beer pong first came out or first got popular so we're actually pouring beer in the cups and shooting a ball in the backyard the ball is like rolling around the driveway and like we got a water cup to rinse it and we're drinking the (laughs) beer out of the cups and like reusing the cups like disgusting stuff and like after covid like you look back and you're like oh my god what (laughs) but now it's like and it's like stuff like that didn't happen in the hood yeah you know we have somebody who had a nice stereo playing music in the basement and we just have like a basement party and like the whole neighborhood well not the whole but like people will come so just like dancing, drinking yeah. water, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> or okay. like I don't know, Arizona Gatorade, whatever you yeah. were drinking. But okay, yeah. So we didn't really drink. Drinking wasn't really like in. Yeah, drinking wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. And like, even if you look at it now, Hennessy, like you know, when rappers started coming out with liquors that's when drinking became like more popular and more acceptable. Like in the hood, if you drank, you were drunk. Yeah. So, okay. Or a wino. So 
That's interesting. I didn't, I never really thought about that, but like I grew up in, you know, white right. people area. Stuff you don't think about. Yeah. You know? And now as I've gotten older, I've understood that like there's these crazy differences out there yeah. that in the small bubble that I grew up in, they, we didn't have that. Exactly. Like I can remember being 16 and like going over my white friend's house and drinking Knob Creek and like it burning the shit out of my chest. <laughs> But it's like that stuff you didn't really do, you know? Yeah. Or at least we didn't. I didn't. <laughs> it's it's so interesting, like hearing about the the culture of like Cleveland, even though it's you know right, right up the there. road yeah. for me. The mistake on the lake. The mistake on the lake. It it really is. Like yeah, I, st- I still make fun of it. It's yeah. not my favorite place to visit. Oh, <laughs> it's just no. not a great city. It's not a great city. It's not a great city. I don't see how. Like, our population is dropping, but I don't see how we're still... It's crazy to see how we're still a popular city. Mm-hmm. We're still considered a big city, even though our population's low. Wow. I mean, Cleveland was, like, a big city back in the day. Yeah. And it was, you know, all the industrial whatevers and lakes on was fire. Good for Cleveland. I want to say maybe 80s was good for Cleveland. I don't really know yeah. too much Cleveland history, so don't quote me on this. But I want to say 90s and 80s were good for Cleveland. And then obviously LeBron's era mm-hmm. put Cleveland back on the map and we built a lot of big hotels and now the Cavs suck and the Browns are kind of shitty because I'm a Steelers <laughs> fan. But um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know what's going to be the next revamp for Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people say tech. A lot of people say that Cleveland's a good tech city. Interesting. I, um, it's becoming pretty gentrified mm-hmm. and that's because our property value is so low really so low like that's another thing that's stopping me from going to another city like mm-hmm. 160,000 in the Cleveland area for a house you can get so much like you're in a nice suburb you have so much house in yeah. a nice suburb three bed two bath nice suburb nice school district but so like I was looking at Atlanta and I want to say 160,000 in Atlanta got me like a double wide trailer. And I was like, wow, no, <laughs> like they have million dollar homes down there. And then like looking at Florida and stuff like that. And I'm just like, OK, so it's just stuff that you learn growing up, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask, like you said, Atlanta and Florida. Is there other places that you're looking at, like moving on? Um, um, Tennessee would be nice. Georgia would be nice. Um, just south of I. And I know with it, with the weather, it's been kind of crazy. Texas got snow last year. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it's going to be inevitable to escape the snow, but I just want to get away from the snow. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was asking, I was going to ask, like, what's that draw away from Cleveland for you? Something different, something warm. That's Mm -hmm. all. Um, Yeah. And definitely work. So um, for people that don't know, I'm a police officer. Um, I'm actually a sergeant of my department. but uh, And I have been for about 18 months now. Uh, Okay. And so I work for a suburb on the outskirts of Cleveland. Um, It's definitely the worst city in the area of Cleveland. Like, People know this city and they're like, hey, don't go there. Um, 
this year we made a difference. Uh, my chief backs us with all of our pursuits. So if it's a felony vehicle or a vehicle that's used in a felony or if it comes back to a felony crime, we'll chase it until we run out of gas. We're chasing it until that vehicle stops. Um, I'm pit certified. We use stop sticks. We're going to. And so with that being said, we have a lot of crashes in different cities that aren't ours. And people don't like that. And the news hates it. But our chief mm -hmm. backs us 100 percent of the time. Um, <laughs> I got lots of thoughts on, <laughs> on being a cop right now. Um, so I want to, what's the, um, I don't know, like when you say that there's like felony vehicles and you're going to chase after them until <laughs> there's no gas in the car. Yeah. Like, have you done that before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so Columbus is Franklin County. So yeah. I've chased cars counties over to the point where our radios are no longer in range. And really? I'm relaying to the dispatcher on my cell phone where we are. And so there's like us and a few neighboring cities that may have stayed in the chase mm -hmm. for crimes that they committed there. And then there's like Highway Patrol, Cuyahoga County Sheriff's, Lake County Sheriff's, whatever little suburbs we're driving through. And... um it's fun. So I've been in chases that go that far out, one to the west side and one to the east side, twice, mm -hmm. where our radios just weren't even working anymore. Are you, you don't have to, but are you able to like kind of give a little bit of the details on what those chases were like? So a common crime, a common felony that we chase for is vehicles stolen at gunpoint. So okay. that's an aggravated robbery. Um, and typically, depending on how fresh it is. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I'm the supervisor. I'm the night shift supervisor. So depending on how fresh it is, I'll authorize my guys to keep going. So I'm the person that terminates. I used to be the person that just had fun, but now I'm the person that terminates it. Um, but if it's like, okay, this vehicle... they. So let's say one of my guys runs a plate while he's out at work. Um, it comes back stolen at gunpoint out of Cleveland at 9.34 p.m. It's, let's say, 12.30 p.m. or 12.30 a.m. Three hours later, there's a great chance that the people that robbed, that stole that car are still in that car. So um, they'll call for backup. Once we got enough units there, they'll try to make the traffic stop if they don't pull over. They got the green lights as far as I'm concerned. Now, obviously, so they'll have to call in speeds, traffic conditions, whether traffic is light, moderate, or heavy, um, pedestrian traffic, and weather conditions, and the road conditions. So if that all meets the criteria for a good chase, which at nighttime it usually is, you usually don't have heavy traffic at night. So right. um, I'll let them go. Wow. What's the, I guess, take me through that experience of like telling uh, your coworkers like go chase that car. So like, like, let's get it back. Okay. So they'll call in. So we all have computers in our car, so mm -hmm. you can do this and it's highly frowned upon. It's completely unsafe. It's called a ghost stop. So you can run somebody's plate, do a traffic stop, either write a ticket or give them a warning and just let them go. So radio, 
our radios is how we tell each other what we're doing, obviously. It's how we communicate to each other. Right. Um, you never want to do something like that because no one knows that if you're on a traffic stop, you should have some backup with you. So ghost stops are highly frowned upon. They're extremely dangerous. Um, so you'll call in the radio. You'll say, so let me rewind. You run the plate on the computer. Mm -hmm. It's going to tell you that it's stolen. It's going to tell you what city reported it stolen and what time, what day. So then for us, we'll call over the radio and we'll say we're running a plate and we'll call out our location. Obviously, since we all know that we can run a plate in the car, once we hear somebody calling a plate over the radio, we know they got something good. So once we hear their location, we start rolling that way because we know it's a hot vehicle. Like something is something is in there that we want. So okay. um, radio will come back and say, hey, that car comes back stolen out of Cleveland uh, three hours ago. And we'll say, OK, copy that. Waiting for another unit to make a traffic stop. Now, if that vehicle flees, then we'll come back over to radio. Radio, that vehicle is failing to yield to my lights and sirens. Um, I'm going to be in pursuit. These are the current conditions. Uh, vehicle is going to be traveling 60 miles an hour, Euclid Avenue. We're going to be going westbound. Traffic conditions are light. Um, weather's clear. Roads are dry. No pedestrian traffic. So if I hear that, that's a green light. That's a green light. They can go however. Now, they're going to call that in every so often. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, when you turn, we're going to call in. What street you turned on? Call in the speeds. Um, different areas you start calling in all the conditions. As long as they do that and you keep a calm voice, you're good to go in my book. Okay. Um, so, like, when they're when they're in pursuit, are they telling you, like, every move that they're making? I yes. assume so. Yes. So absolutely. it's not like we're so, going down Euclid and then all of a sudden we're, like, here, here, seven no, streets no, no. over. So the primary vehicle, so the first vehicle that spotted it, they're probably going to be the primary depending on the vehicle. And, like, I said, when I say that, Tahoe's select. So if they're driving a Tahoe, they're not going to be primary. I call them Tah slow because they're super slow. It's <laughs> like there's memes about them. They're so weighted down that to do 60 or 70, you feel like it sounds like you're going to blow the transmission. Yeah. So I love the Taurus. I'll drive a Taurus at work. Um, the Explorers, for some reason, I'm not that short, but at like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, in boots, I feel like the Explorers sit above me. No mm -hmm. matter how high I adjust the seat, so the Explorers are definitely made for made for taller people. But um, I love the Tahoes. I mean, not the Tahoes. I love the Taurus, <laughs> and um, I think they're a little bit faster. Um, so yeah, the primary vehicle is gonna be a the fastest, and b the person who is initiating the traffic stop. Your secondary vehicle, the second vehicle in that pursuit, they're the one that's calling out everything on the radio. So the primary vehicle, his only focus is to keep eyes on the suspect and follow them. The second vehicle follows the police car and calls in streets and directions and speeds and conditions. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're really like working yeah. together. Yeah, you work to... together. And so then you have other vehicles that will try to get ahead of the pursuit and will deploy spike strips, stop sticks. Yeah. And... um. So, yeah, it's and then also so you have radio like if we're leaving the city, um, 
they'll call other cities and notify them, hey, we're coming through your city with a pursuit. This is where we're going to be coming from. This is direction of travel. This is the speeds. And then other cities will join in. Now, obviously, we can't talk to them. So then they'll do the same thing for their units. They'll just call out the directions and like the conditions and wherever it stops, that's when you usually get like 20 cars or something like that because there's so many other cities that have joined in. Yeah. So like that's, that's the shit you're seeing on the news. Yeah, like exactly. When, when Exa- and it's fun to be like, videos. yeah. So that's the fun part of policing. Like, like I said, I work in a city where we have a lot of crime. So if you want to, you can get in two to three pursuits per shift. Jeez. Now, like I said, so misdemeanor pursuits, I don't, you're not allowed to chase outside the city. So as long as somebody stays within city limits, I'll let them chase for a misdemeanor. So misdemeanor can be like, you're speeding, 53 and a 35, we come to pull you over, you don't stop. We don't know what the plate says yet, we haven't got up to it. You're not a felon for what the, the crime that caused the pursuit. Yeah, so if you're not a felon sense. for yeah. going 55 and a 35. People run for window tint. People run for driving under suspicion. I mean, not suspicion, suspension. Yeah. So these aren't felony crimes. These are misdemeanor crimes. If you leave the city, uh, we'll terminate. Wow. But felony crimes, like I said, we're chasing until the wheels fall off. Jeez. What? I guess what's what's the driving factor for someone to speed off and not stop if they like oh shit my windows 10 is like slightly darker than the legal limit like better just speed away I I don't get it like I said people will run because they're driving under suspension mm-hmm. and it's like you would have gotten a ticket and maybe the tow car I mean the car towed um or maybe would have told you hey Get somebody with a valid license to come get the car so we don't tow it. But mm-hmm. they'll run. And it's like, you weren't going to go to jail, but now you're definitely going to go to jail. Jeez. So, like, the stolen cars, I get it. You're going to run. You don't want to be caught in a stolen car. Um. But the misdemeanor pursuits, I don't get it. I mean, I guess people always want to think that they can get away from the police. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're lucky. Um, I do like to watch pursuit videos in my <laughs> spare time sometimes, like on YouTube. And um, motorcycles always get away. Uh, we actually <laughs> had a fatal motorcycle pursuit. Oh, man. Yeah, That's it unfortunate. It lasted maybe 60, 90 seconds. That's but, it? Uh, yeah, that's it. Like, he went to go pull him over for speed. The motorcycle went down one street across another street northbound and crashed into a Cadillac motorcycle. Motorcyclists did not make it. Wow, that's so unfortunate. Yeah. Um, that was a few months ago. Jeez. But, uh, yeah, motorcycles usually get away. Usually. You can't, you can't spike strip those. You cannot spike strip a motorcycle. You cannot. No. Oh, my God. So... Yeah, even if you have a motorcycle, don't like run from the cops. Not saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. Don't don't do it. It because if it ends bad, it ends horribly. Right. Like it. Yeah. You're you're, you're risking ended. your life. You're ended literally. Yeah. So like I'll watch people on motorcycles with their GoPro running from the police, and I'm like, 
I do kind of think it's cool. Like, hey, you're doing 168. And I'm like, but you're doing 168 on two wheels. Like, With if no somebody protection. switches lanes. Yep. If someone's texting and yeah, it just, oh. like, swerves over, yeah. done. Yeah. That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Uh, that Honestly, that's one of the reasons I stopped riding a motorcycle. Because yeah. I had one. I loved it. It was therapeutic. Like, yeah. I was all up in that. That's what people say. It's it is therapeutic. therapeutic. I want one. I've wanted one for years. When I was younger, I wanted a crotch rocket. I wanted to be not one of those guys, but uh-huh. I wanted to be on a crotch rocket. I wanted to be a crotch rocket rider. Yeah. Now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, I'm leaning towards a Harley Sportster. Mm-hmm. But then all of my friends that ride Harley, they're like, hey, you can't make long rides on that. Right. You're going to hate. Like, from here to Toledo, your back's going to hurt. So I'm like, okay. So they want me to do like a 1500 or an 1100 or something like that. And I'm like, mm, no. No. <laughs> I'm not. Mentally, I'm like, that screams like dad bike. Yeah. And I'm like still trying to hold on to like the last few months of my 20s. And I'm like, I don't have kids. I'm not a dad. <laughs> like, can I not have a dad bike? Can I just have like a single guy Harley? Like, yeah. Yeah, man. Bikes are cool. Bikes are cool. If you're going to get one, I recommend. But absolutely be safe. Be cautious. Be absolutely aware of everything. I mean, you're you're a cop, so you know. I've seen the like, worst. So yeah. I know. But um, so, yeah, pursuits, that's the fun part of policing, um, just to bring it back. But the not-so-fun part, you know, you see stuff you don't want to see. Um, mm-hmm. you do stuff you don't want to do. Um, and then, I mean, just being a black cop on top of that, it's also not so fun. Cause mm-hmm. then people call you out for being black. Like they think you're supposed to get a, they're supposed to get a slap on a wrist because you're black. And it's like, no, what you did was wrong. Like you must go to jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, so. that brings up two things I wanted to talk about. Okay. So we all know, like, the story is of, like, good cops, bad cops. Like, yes. you know, your typical citizen gets pulled over. Oh, this cop that pulled me over was either a great guy or he was an asshole. Like, does that, like, do you play that? Like, do you go both sides? Good is cop, that, bad cop? Is that yeah. real? Are you asking if that's real? Not like when, it, like, when you pull someone over. Like, are you... Like, did they piss you off? Did you have a bad day? And you're like, this person I got to be an asshole to. Or, like, can you just be like, hey, you were speeding. Like, I'm having a decent day. You know, whatever. Whatever the case may be. Exactly. Like so, yeah, that- you're you're bringing it up. Um, And that's true. That's true. I can say in my career, I've been a cop for five years now. So, I can say that when I was younger, yeah, it was you take out your rage and you're like, hey. I'm having a bad day. Everybody's getting a ticket. You can come to work. And that's the thing about being a cop. You can come to work having a bad day mm-hmm. from whatever, you know, your relationship, uh, maybe your dog took a shit in the house or anything. So you come to work having a bad day and you can say, I'm citing everybody. And that's your decision. Yeah. But you can also come to work. And now that I'm older, I can say, hey, what happened at home happened at home. What happened at work happened at work, and I keep them completely separate. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, how my decision is made for writing tickets is 
I was always told, you know, make your decision before you get out the car. Don't let their attitude escalate you into a ticket. But it's 100% true. People talk themselves into tickets. Oh, they do. People talk themselves into tickets. Like, and this is, this is something that I, I have a love-hate relationship with. I hate when people pull out their cell phones to record me. But I love it at the same time. Like, okay. yeah, let's get the bad cops out. Please record. But it's like, if you're going to act like an asshole mm-hmm. and record me at the same time, you're going to get a ticket. Yeah. You just earned yourself this ticket. So that's only that's what I should say that I hate about being recorded. Like, if you record me and I'm just like, I don't know, standing somewhere, you're just like, hey, I'm recording you. I'm, you're trying to get a rise out of me. I'll wave. I'll talk to you. Okay, so what is this? Like a podcast? Like, <laughs> is this a vlog? Like, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. And, you know, I'll play along. But if you're recording me because you broke the law and then you're trying to say that I pulled you over, oh, you pulled me over because I'm black. And then I'll look like, what? <laughs> like You're what? looking at your own hands like, yeah. wait a and second. And then they'll say, oh, you're not black. You're blue. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. You're. You're kind of talking your way into a ticket at this point. But um, so typically what I'll do is, like I said, I'll run a plate in the car mm-hmm. and I'll look at your driving history. So not only does your driving history show up, but it also shows when other people run your name. So like, let's say you get pulled over for speeding and someone doesn't issue a citation, but they run your name. So it's like, okay, I can say, Cameron was ran by Columbus PD on October 31st. Yeah. Doesn't really tell me that you were pulled over. It doesn't say like, hey, he was issued a warning or anything like that. But if I can say like, okay, if I'm looking at like, you had a speeding ticket in January, you had a speeding ticket in February, you had your name ran in March and April, then you got another speeding ticket in May. And then I stop you in November, you're getting a ticket. You clearly are a speeder. This yeah. is what you do. So, how far does that history go back? Like, how far back can you see? So, uh, I can see your adult history. So, since you turned 18, yeah. it's all there. Yeah. And okay. if it's like, obviously, if you were charged as mm-hmm. a kid, I can probably see that unless you had it expunged. As long as you haven't had it expunged or sealed, I can see it. Wow. Okay. So that that ticket I got when I was in college for speeding, that's still there, even though it was eight years ago. Exactly. Also, it'll show. So I'll be like, hey, this guy hasn't had a ticket in eight years. Have a nice night. Um, But also it'll show. So let's say you get stopped for speeding forty-eight and a thirty-five, and then you go to court. You talk to the prosecutor. And the prosecutor bumps it down to no seatbelt or something like that. So that, like, let's say you go to court and you say, hey, I use my license for my job. I can't afford a ticket. If I get a ticket, I'm going to lose my job. And the prosecutor says, okay, well, I'll dismiss the speeding. You won't get points, but I'm going to give you a seatbelt. So you plead to the seatbelt ticket or for not having your license on you. You got stopped with no license, failure to provide. So you plead to that, but it will show me 
what you were originally charged with. So I can see original charge, 5335, conviction, failure to provide. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of information. I mean, it it's is. good. It's good to have all that. I I didn't know any of that information was provided. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, like talking to you and thinking about it. But yeah, I never knew that until now. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Um, so the second thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, you're obviously a black cop. Yes. There's a lot going on in the world today. Yes. How there is. how does that play into your daily life and what i guess what's your opinion what's your thoughts let's get it all on the table okay so um i try to i try to i'm not gonna say blind i don't stay blind to the issues but i watch the news for the weather i watch the news for the weather i turn it on what's the weather gonna be i turn it off everything else there is bonus yeah bonus like (laughs) so like i said i work night shift so if Mm -hmm. i come home at seven I'll watch the weather. I mean, I'll watch the news. And uh, you can kind of see what happened. Like, like I, okay, so current events locally mm-hmm. and the weather. So I can see what happened in other places throughout the city overnight. And what's the weather going to be? That's it. So, but when there's stuff like, you know, you get a excessive use of force or a use of force that becomes popular, becomes famous, and hits the news, and then we start getting protests, then it's time to watch the video, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily go out looking for use of force videos. Um, sometimes I do for training points, but other than that, um, I try to avoid them. But, so let's say, like, the biggest one recently was obviously George Floyd. Yeah. I know I didn't watch the video for weeks until finally I was like, okay. Like once they protested and like, I think they, I want to say they burned down a police department there. If I'm not mistaken. I think they did. They burned down the precinct. They made it inside. The police had to fall back. They lost control of it. And then they burned it from the inside out. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Once I saw that that was happening in their city and then it started to spread to other cities, I want to say that's when I finally watched the video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this was fucked up. But this is not how you respond to it. Okay. So we had a protest up in Cleveland. And um, when it happened, you know, it's not only is it all hands on deck for Cleveland. Well, let me not say that. We'll talk. I. I hate the city of Cleveland. And I'm going <laughs> to touch on that. So it was not all hands on deck for the city of Cleveland. I have friends that were like off bowling. This was May 30th or June 1st, I want to say. June 1st sounds about right. And I have friends that work for Cleveland that had off days, scheduled off days, and they were like out bowling at the bar, having a good time. Meanwhile, Cleveland and every district with, I mean, like every other city within like a 20 mile radius was in downtown Cleveland trying to protect the Justice Center while they were protesting. So our SWAT team went down. There were SWAT teams from every city within the county for sure. And some from outside cities as well. So 
um, Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office was outside the Justice Center and the city of Cleveland was outside the Justice Center and they had us on like cleanup detail. So um, as the protest broke out and then it started to move away from the Justice Center and it started tearing up downtown Cleveland, they were sending, they were dispatching us to go arrest well, whatever was going on, if that makes sense. So like yeah, people were breaking in liquor stores, so we would come um, – arrest whoever was still inside the liquor store. People were breaking inside of restaurants. They got inside of, um, they tried to get into a bank. We got them before they got into the bank. Um, they tried to get into a few banks. They broke into a lot of restaurants, a lot of stores. Um, and so as those alarms were going off, we were responding to those. Mm-hmm. Um, grocery stores, CVSs, Rite Aid, stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, we were just the arrest team. But we had fun. Like... <laughs> That was fun. Like, so it's like, don't get me wrong. I'm black. I'm definitely black. And I definitely believe that, yes, black lives matter, but I don't believe in the movement, if that okay. makes sense. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I believe in the mindset. Mm. Like, yes, black lives do matter. But the movement, the aggressive violence, um, I'm not for that. Um, and then a lot of people don't know, but Black Lives Matter is founded by a white Jewish man. So when people donate to Black Lives Matter, it doesn't profit the black community. It was really founded by a white Jewish yes, guy? It was. I didn't know that. It was. Um, so just to bring that back to how do I feel about what's going on? Like I said before, like I'll tell my family. Um, if you get pulled over, if you want to record it, record it. I encourage you to record it because a good cop is not afraid to be recorded. So if you right. pull, if I pull you over and you say, hey, officer, just wanted to let you know I'm recording this for my safety. Okay, that's fine. I'm also recording this for my safety. So do you have your license and proof of insurance? And then we can go through the traffic stop. And if you're still cordial with me and you just happen to be recording me while I'm recording you, yeah, you can have a break. Have a nice day. Um, but like I said, if you're your typical Black Lives Matter or like police the police or um, there's another big anti-cop group out there. Um, I can't think of the name right now. But if yeah, you're I'm like one of those of guys and you're recording me to try to get a rise out of me or you think I'm just going to use force for no reason. Yeah. And you're trying to get me to use force for no reason. I don't like those people. But um So yeah, it's definitely interesting to be a black cop now. Um black people call you a sellout. Um it is what it is. So it is what it is. Yeah, do I guess do people treat you differently even like the people that you work with just because Ooh, you're a black cop that's a good one that is I mean, a good one cops now, cops were white for forever so that's true i'm very curious now that is true and now this is something that i was questioning on if i was gonna say like on the way down or like the week leading up to recording today but mm. um i'll mention it so 
being a black cop, I can definitely say there's not 100. I'm not going to say like, oh, yeah, law enforcement is 100 percent racist. It's not. But there's definitely racism alive in law enforcement. So you can tell. So like I said, I work for a pretty bad city. Um, we got a pretty low poverty. We got a pretty high poverty rate. Um, and we're 98% black, maybe 99% black. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have our department is majority white. And so, like, when I first got hired in, and even still to this day, we have people that drive two hours away to come work here. Really? Two hours in one direction. We have a guy that lives in Columbus. Wow. That used to work there. So, and he worked there for years. Um, We have people that live on the border of Pennsylvania, and they drive to work every day. So I'm like, okay, you're working a 12-hour shift. That's 16 hours in the car. May as well get a hotel. (laughs) Seriously, on (laughs) your work days, you might as well. So, and now this is something that, like, me and my black coworkers, like, we're friends. Mm -hmm. We hang out outside of work. Um, Typically, if you see me, like, on a trip or, like, if you see me hanging out with people, chances are they're probably cops and I'll come back to that because I hate it but I'll come back to that so um, we all work for different departments we all started together and then we work for different departments and then like you go to a different department and you're like hey he's cool he can hang with us and so like the group grows and then it shrinks and it's weird but something that we do say is that the ones who are racist and like you can tell a racist cop, but the ones who are racist is almost like they're your friend because of your uniform. Like I've heard people let stuff slip before and it's like, yo, what's your problem? Like, this is how you really feel about us. Like if it wasn't for me being in this uniform, you would see me as them, if that makes sense. So are they dropping like racist comments or like, like... they're not they're not dropping the hard er but like they'll say like they use the word them aggressively Uh, okay it's like oh they're just nothing but pieces of shit or we have to come in here and clean up their mess every day and you know stuff like that and it's like why can't they just get along and it's like i'm right here (laughs) i'm right here like you know you grew up in yeah, the exactly. same neighborhood or, exactly. or the so, same area. Yeah. So when I was born, I was actually born in the city. We actually had a hospital, a big hospital in the city that closed in the 90s and got torn down. But when I was there, when I was born, I stayed there until I was five. But um, I guess for like my sisters growing up and even like back in my mom's time, it was like a white suburb. And like my mom would tell me like, Back in the day, you didn't go into that city at night mm-hmm. or you might not come back. So I'm like, OK, but now it's like extreme, severe poverty. And it's like I said, 98, 99 percent black. So. Wow. It's weird that, you know, you end up being back in a city that you were born in or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And these cops are just. Yeah, they're friends with you because they work with you. But don't get me wrong. Like I said, that's just the racist ones. And like I I tell everybody, there's bad apples in every bunch, you know. Right. 
I was Catholic. There are priests who touch boys. Mm -hmm. Um, There are teachers who touch kids, you know, so there are doctors who, you know, there's bad apples in every profession. There's somebody at McDonald's right now spitting in somebody's burger, you know, but that you can't just say, oh, there are racist cops. Cops are racist because then it's like, okay, there are molesting priests. Priests are molesters. You can't say that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you. So you're trying you to can't say generalize that, it. Exactly. You can't generalize it. Yeah. Wow. So the I, I'm like kind of fixated on the racist cops. No. So like, yeah. So there's a few races. Like yeah. Like I said. So we have a bad apple. We have a few bad apples in every bunch, right? Yeah. So you know those guys, but then it's also like you have your. Like I said, so I went to a private high school. Went to a, we went to a private college. Mm-hmm. So. I also have white friends because I didn't go to inner city schools where I would have been in an inner city school with majority black people. And then like, like I said, that first day in high school where they're like, you're not racist. You're just with who you're comfortable with. And like, just think about this. Whenever you go somewhere and you can kind of tell people's mindset, you can be at work. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know about other cities, but like, in Cleveland, whatever setting you're in, you can see like people will separate because that's who they feel comfortable with. Wow. Yeah. And it's like it's a tough mindset to break if you experience one race your entire childhood mm-hmm. because now you're an adult and this is all you know. Right. So then you have to go to a school or hopefully I'm going to say hopefully, but maybe you go to a college where you can branch out or you get a job where you can branch out and you're like, OK. Then you start to think like, okay, hey, Cameron's not that bad. Cameron's actually cool. Cameron likes to drink some pretty good whiskey, you know? (laughs) And so you start to hang out and then I might hang out with you and then you introduce me to somebody else and then, yeah. but that doesn't always happen, you know? Right, right. You don't, uh, I guess there's like a new thing that people are talking about finally. It's like, you don't grow up racist. No one grows up racist. You just grow up in your own bubble. Exactly. You grow up, you know what you know. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, I'll be honest, I I grew up in a small, like, all white town. Mm -hmm. And we had, I think in my years of high school there was maybe like eight black people. And there was like maybe two Asian people. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like, I had friends who were gay and they wouldn't even come out because in high school yeah like they they wouldn't come out like they'd come out to their close friends Mm -hmm. but to the other white people they they didn't want to say anything because of that's just what people know and they don't want to be i guess different or hated or treated differently you know Mm -hmm. that's terrible it's probably different now, you know, like, it, yeah, their community has made a lot of strides. So I feel like kids today can probably be more open mm-hmm. about being gay or queer or bisexual or whatever, whatever yeah. you are. But um, I feel like it's easier for kids to be a little open now. Like back in high school, I think we may have had four openly gay people at school there was a lesbian couple 
that dated like all throughout high school. And then there was two black guys that were like openly gay. And that was it. Wow. Like one of them would come in school. One of them would come to school on like talent show days in drag, like full drag. Interesting. Yeah. So like going to a private high school definitely opened your eyes to like, hey, the world is bigger than this bubble. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was in this bubble and that's that's something that I try to talk to people about back home. Like people can grow up in Cleveland and never leave Cleveland. There are people that live in Columbus right now that have never left and will never leave. Right. Like the world is so much bigger and there's so much more to explore. So that's another reason that draws me away from Cleveland. Like, and, and I think when you say people never leave, like they literally live. Yeah. Yeah. There's no weekend trips anywhere. They're not taking a vacation. Like exactly that. It literally just becomes their own echo chamber and that's all they know. Exactly. Yeah. I, I also believe the world was like that up until, you know, I guess this crazy age of the internet, you have access to all this information and you can sit down and like listen to conversations like this Mm -hmm. and get a little more perspective and understanding from someone else who didn't grow up the same as you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned there was uh you wanted to talk about how you hang out with like your cop friends yeah bring that back yeah i want to bring that back really quick yeah so don't want to leave it hanging yeah absolutely (laughs) so yeah i do have uh you know there's white cop friends there's like i said my two best friends from high school white Mm -hmm. um and the good apples like i said the good apples they don't ruin it for the entire group but there are bad apples. Bad apples do exist. And that's why I encourage people to record. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing you're going to do is catch a bad apple. And they can be exposed. There's evidence of it. And we can get them out. Because people have such a negative view of the police. And the only way to get rid of the negative view is to say, hey, we don't like the bad cops either you know yeah yeah you see i don't i haven't really seen that mentality of cops being like yeah we want the bad cops out of here i i at least not like pushed in the news or in social media or something i feel like that's something that needs to be pushed out more that, that idea there was a um there's just like a few instances that I can think of. Um, there's a female cop who also works for a suburb up in Cleveland, and she wrote a book about racism within her department. Mm-hmm. And they fired her. Wow. They fired her for writing a book about racism in her department. And I want to say she had like a small book tour from it. She had she gained a little fame. I'm... I don't want to say that she went on Oprah, but <laughs> she went on a talk show for writing this book and it was in the news. And then she did something weird where she tried to fight to get her job back. And I'm like, why would you want to go back? Like you wrote a book, you exposed them. And now you're saying, Hey, hire me back. That doesn't make sense. But then 
what was the guy's name in California? Was that Chris Dorner? Mm. I'm not entirely sure, but I want to say there was a black cop, a black L.A. police officer who tried to expose racism and then went on like a rampage killing white cops. Holy shit. Yeah, and then he went to the mountains and was hiding in a cabin and the FBI and a bunch of other feds surrounded him in the cabin and they ended up killing him. Oh my God. Yeah, there's like a lot of conspiracies about that, but I want to say that the exact reasoning for it was that he tried to expose racism and he went on like a killing spree. Yeah, I you can't. I want to say he killed a few cops. You can't just go around yeah. killing people. I want to say he wrote a manifesto or something like that. But again, like I said, so I don't really read up on that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like I see enough negative at work to the point mm-hmm. where I don't need to see that much. Like I don't need to experience what's going on in another city. Right. For my enjoyment, for my pleasure. So. I didn't follow that one too closely, but Mm -hmm. I want to say that's his name and for anyone who wants to look it up. But um, it happens. You have cops that try to expose racism and law enforcement is a predominantly white profession Mm -hmm. and the racism does run deep. So it's just like with how all of our politicians are aged. Most of our police departments are aged. So you might have someone who has been a cop for 30, 40 years and or they came from a city or even if they were there for 30 years, the city has changed drastically in 30 years and they're still holding holding on to old habits because they were raised in a bubble and then they worked in a bubble and then the bubble got tainted and they're still there. So um, it's definitely predominant in law enforcement i'm not gonna say like i'm not gonna ignore the elephant in the room yes there is racism in law enforcement um it reminds me i want to shout this podcast out that i listened to i don't know if you listened to it i forget who did it i started it recently uh it's called behind the police behind the police yeah i've never heard of it it's i want to say it's about nine episodes it's not very long okay well, the episodes themselves are. They're an hour and a half, two hours. That's not bad. Yeah. And it it starts in the beginning where, like, police came from, and it goes through the history of, mm. like, law enforcement and all that. And I've for, unfortunately only been able to listen to the first episode. But it, it talks about, like, law enforcement stemming from um, – groups of like white dudes and they're going around these towns back in the 1800s making sure that slaves aren't running away and that they're staying on their plantations that they're supposed to be that makes perfect sense yeah it's it's crazy how that literally was pretty much the start of law enforcement and it it's not exactly the same right like society's changed but it's still a similar mindset Mm -hmm. right highly recommend checking out after you this said it's called will, behind the police yeah i'll definitely check it out yeah um, after this i'll send it to you again um, i don't really so we can kind of branch into this i don't really so 
I've grown up and I've grown out of the whole thin blue line mindset. Mm-hmm. So I will personally say that I feel like the thin blue line is a brainwashing technique. Okay. Um, and this is my philosophy. They teach you the thin blue line in the academy, which I believe, yes, teach the thin blue line, but don't beat it into people's heads. Because what happens is, and this is, so cops have a low life expectancy. They say that you become a cop and you shave seven years off of your life expectancy. So you learn the thin blue line. You're seeing people at their worst. Nobody calls the police and says, hey, um, come to my house. I just got a promotion. Nobody says, hey, come to my house. I just bought it. I'm happy. I just got a brand new car. People call when they say, hey, my boyfriend's beating me up. I can't find my kids. I just came home and my mom's dead. That's when you call the police. You call the police when your house has been broken into. You're having a bad day. You pass that bad day on to me. For hours, I'm at work taking bad news. So you come into it that us versus them, we're the thin blue line, we keep the evil separate from the good, we stand in the middle, and then you get into the mindset where, okay, sheeple. Sheeple was a word that like <laughs> got popular during COVID, but sheeple was always like, you know, yeah, people were always being called sheep, but it was mostly, or I always saw predominantly in law enforcement. So- You got the evil versus the good, but the good are really sheeps. And so you got, yeah, we're the thin blue line, but we're the wolf dogs. And it's like, we keep the wolves away from the sheep. And it's like, you talk to your friends who aren't in law enforcement. And so as a cop, your kid, your head's constantly on a swivel. You're always thinking what can go wrong while I'm here in this present second. So, or you're just like I said, constantly getting bad news. And then you talk to your friends who aren't in law enforcement and their heads aren't on a swivel and they aren't actively aware of what's going on in the present situation. And you start to think like, oh, they're sheep, they're sheep. And so you start to separate. Like, that's why I keep my two best friends from high school real close because they're not cops. Yeah. One of them, they both actually work kind of doing the similar jobs. They work for hospitals, mm-hmm. cleaning like medical instruments. Um, one of them works for, I'm not going to say any companies, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so um, I believe that it's very important to have friends that aren't cops because this is what happens when you get out the academy. You're so wrapped up in the thin blue line. Your friends were probably proud for you to become a cop, but it's kind of like a fake proud because, you know, you're a cop. Right. So you're going to separate from them a little bit more because you're going to be working a lot more overtime. You're going to have a different shift. Chances are your friends are all working nine to five. They got every weekend off. Weekend as a cop can be Wednesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. So you have to adjust to that. And then also you throw in you're working third shift so it's like hey when i am off you're at work and you gotta work the next morning so um so you start hanging out with more cops and you're like hey we got the same off days we work the same shift Mm -hmm. and so even if it's not cops in your 
department if you start hanging out with cops from other departments um you can't use drugs so you can't smoke weed anymore if you used to smoke weed or whatever drugs you if you used to do drugs you can't use drugs so cops turn to drinking as a vice a lot of cops are alcoholics so they drink to i want to say repress the memories but then also so they'll drink together we'll drink together we have like you know all cop bars and you love it but you hate it the drinks are cheap but it's just a bunch of cops in there drinking getting drunk complaining about how shitty work was so not only did i just go to work and i just experienced all of this negativity but then i meet up with you and then you tell me about your negativity <laughs> and then i tell you about my negativity and then i just go home drunk and wake up and go to work and i'm hungover so i'm coming in with a shitty mood but all they do is talk to cops and if you talk to cops all you hear is negativity mm-hmm. because it's like oh and it may come off as good like oh yeah listen to this call i had the other day and you're listening to it and you're like oh that's nothing listen to this and you're just sharing negative stories and yeah we have a dark sense of humor so like because we cope that's how we cope with what we see so like there's a reason why we tell cops not to use your phone on crime scenes because cops use that as like coping not even just cops first responders use that as like i don't know like bragging rights like it's very weird and i know i'm touching i'm drifting away from like the original point but you'll get first responders who will take pictures of crime scenes and show each other and it's wow. like a brat and this is what we do while drinking so so you guys are sitting at a bar and you can have your phones there and be like look at this fucked up crime scene look at this act and look then- at this fatal accident i was at yesterday jeez and then it, or like look at this doa that i was at or like look wow. at this homicide from the other night and it's like oh that's nothing i got to look at this and so like yeah it's because you know we don't want those pictures leaked mm-hmm. um yeah they're gonna be revealed in court but even and then you know everything that's in court is public record but they typically block that stuff out on the internet you know yeah so unless you really request a record to see like hey i want to see the evidence photos from this case i'm pretty sure if you ask for that you can see it i don't even know what reason the courts need but if you wanted to see crime scene photos you could but cops firefighters emts share these pictures and it's like it's just an overload of negativity Mm -hmm. so that's why it's like I like having friends who are cooks. I like having friends that work in completely non-public safety factors so that you can be there like typical people. Hey, look at these ribs I made last weekend. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's nothing. Look at this steak I had last night. And I feel like that extends the life a little bit longer. Like mm-hmm. obviously, yes, you do have to address what you see and what happens, but um alcohol is not the way to do it yeah i'm very for you know go talk to somebody get that out if you have a critical incident go talk it out 
Yeah, I was I was gonna ask like with with all of this that happens and all the trauma that comes with it is I don't know about like in your experience in your life, but do you see like mental illnesses develop? Like have you started developing like anxiety or depression or anything? There you'll get spouts of depression. Mm-hmm. And depression turns into repression. Right. So that's another reason why I think cops have a short lifespan. And so I do have older friends that were cops that are retired, and I always try to reach out. And I have a great one. Uh, he was also a sergeant. And um, I have a great friend that uh, he retired maybe three, four years ago. And he tells you what it's like. So, like I said, you're friends because of the job. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that, and that's typical most jobs. You become right. friends at work. But the negativity is what binds you like a sticky flypaper. Yeah. So, when you retire after all of these years, when you realize that you can't tell, and this is coming from him, obviously, when you realize that you can't tell war stories anymore, and you retire like, hey, I can't keep up with these young guys. I can't tell my war stories. Don't compare to their war stories because everything's getting worse. Um, and you retire. Your friends that were part of the job, if they're still working the job or not, they're kind of gone. He said like after a year or two, like people stop calling them. Like, you know, when you first retire, people will call you while they're at work or at home. Like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And then as a year, he's like literally within a year or two, those calls stop. And like we were actually talking about it a few weeks ago. He's like, yeah, you know, I was retired and I was going to the station once a week because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have friends outside of work. Yeah. So I'm going to the station and I'm seeing the guys that I was working on shift with. And I'm just sitting up there all night like I'm working a shift. And um. He's like, so then finally I realized like, hey, this isn't my job. I'm retired. I retired so that I wouldn't have to do this. So I stopped going so often. And he's like, now, he's like, I probably go, so I want to say he's been retired three or four years. He's like, now I probably go sometimes between one to four times a year. Just because, you know, you want to stop in and see, oh, who's still here? Oh, they retired. They retired. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you sit there, maybe, and he's like, maybe it's down to like an hour or two now. But he's like, when I first retired, that's just what I knew how to do. So you retire, you lose your friends, nobody checks up on you. Um, and then I feel like then you turn alcohol or you that's what you've worked through you've always worked while consuming alcohol so you're still using alcohol but you've got more free time because like now we're not supposed to consume alcohol 12 hours before our shift starts does it happen people do it all the time you got alcoholics yeah Um, i'm not gonna say everybody again there's a few bad apples um so now you got more free time so you can drink more and you just become an alcoholic and you're you never address the negativity from work so you're sitting at home alone you're retired um and i feel like the negativity just eats away at you 
So that's why I try to keep friends who are not cops very close to me, if not closer. Like I, my cop friends, we've been through battles together. You know, there were times where I didn't know how it was going to come out and they've backed me up and I've done the same for them. So we're bonded by that as well. But it's like you got to have your regular friends as well. Yeah. I feel like the I feel like cop friends, if you're a cop and you have cop friends, you stay. You feel like you stay closer to them because what you you're like trained mm -hmm. to like take take a bullet for each other exactly it's, it's exactly. similar to like the military yeah um yeah that's that's wild i'm glad that you recognize that mm -hmm. and know that it's not good for you it's, it's not, not good, good for your for health your mental health all. it's not at all yeah um, so like i said when i first started i was super thin blue line uh the Punisher skull with the thin blue line, the thin blue line American <laughs> flag, uh, thin blue line this on my car, thin blue line that on my car. And I'm like, now I'm just like, hey, when I'm not at work, I'm not at work. Mm -hmm. I'm not a cop. So, like, my friends, this is how I dress when I'm not at work. I, I, I just want to say, say you're wearing sweatpants and a hoodie. Yeah. If it's and it doesn't have any graphic or anything. No, exactly. It, it maybe has like the brand on it. Exa That's it. That's it. So yeah. very nondescript, very comfortable in my, mm -hmm. I'm athleisure. Summertime, basketball shorts and a t-shirt. Wintertime, I'm trying to wear sweats and a hoodie. I pride myself on not wearing pants with belt loops when I'm not at work. <laughs> so you got to get that thin blue line mentality out of your head yes they will you will have their back in fights that you didn't think you were going to survive they're going to have your back in fights that you didn't think you were going to survive when you're fighting with somebody in the middle of the street and you call for backup and you're just waiting you can hear those sirens getting closer but you guys are literally tussling in the middle of the street so like they teach us every fight you get into there's a gun in that fight. Mm -hmm. You're introducing a gun. You don't know if they have a gun, but you're introducing one. So you never give up your back, and you don't go unconscious. So you never get to the point where you can be put unconscious. So that's how our use of force continuum works. Mm -hmm. So when we use force, it's supposed to be in line with the fight that's going on. So if they're using deadly blunt force weapons, we can resort to a gun. So if you come at me with a bat, yes, I have the right to shoot you because if you knock me out, now you have a gun. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're always introducing a gun to a fight. So to bring that back, yes, been in the middle of the street fighting, can't get to my mic. I've called, I'm like, hey, I'm making a traffic stop and I can see like this is going crazy. Send me another unit. Have them step it up. You hear that over the radio? You drop whatever you're doing. You go there. If he says, hey, send me send me another unit, it's like, okay, I need to start making my way there. He's in some kind of trouble. If he says step it up on the radio, you go there immediately. I'm a sergeant. I spend most of my night inside the station. I'm the highest ranking officer on nights. If somebody says send me another unit, have them step it up, I'm leaving out the office. There's nobody in the department. 
Wow. So I've been in fights like that where you call for another unit, you tell them step it up, and then you can't get to your mic anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're literally rolling around in the middle of the street. And as you're fighting with somebody who doesn't want to go to jail, they would do anything to not go back to jail. You're just listening and you're you're hearing sirens off in a distance and they're coming closer and closer and closer. And then you hear the screech of the tires and that door open and it's like freedom, you know, it's like, OK, this is great. All right. Now we can get this guy in cuffs. We can get him down in the jail, whatever. We can book him. But that's what bonds you at work. These are moments that you just have and you don't plan on having like let's just say a cook in a restaurant, those guys bond off a, and that's not even really a traumatic, a stressful event for them would be a lunch rush, a dinner yeah. rush, you know, and that bonds them. So then it's like, hey, yeah, you want to go get a drink after work? Yeah. That's how people bond at work. Stressful times create a bond. Right. But our stressful times are 10 times more stressful than any other job public safety i should say so firefighters bond off of going in the fires fighting fires emts bond so we all bond together i have a firefighter friend as well um i we're all friends with the fire department but um i would say i have a best friend that is a firefighter um so our bonds are built on negative foundations yeah. you know and that's why I say, like, the whole Thin Blue Line, it's a great concept. Even if you want to go into, like, the whole sheepdog, kind of, maybe. But it's so easy to become a cop and be very cynical. Most cops are cynical. Um, Like I said, every call you get is something negative. I was at work. I came home. My front door is wide open. I walked in. All my stuff's gone. I just crashed my car. Stuff like that. No one ever calls you with good news. So yeah. you're going to bond off of that. You're going to bond off of the fact that you share the same job. And you'll be sitting like most cops will realize like brand new cops, rookies. I hate that word, but rookies. You'll be sitting in a bar and you'll try to keep in touch with like your college friends or your high school friends. And like their conversations just won't it's hard to bond with them yeah because you don't have exactly. a, a similar so, story exactly so it's like they're talking let's say you got a friend that's a cook and he's like oh man i was at work the other because like you said like i said earlier people typically drink and unwind mm -hmm. this is most guys therapy session drinking with friends i would go out on a limb and say this is where you get this is where you vent this is where you decompress so you got a friend that's a cook and they're like, oh, I had this horrible lunch rush. I thought it was never going to end. It started early instead of 11. It started at 10. It didn't end until like 3.30, 4 o'clock. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you're like, you, you want to know what I did last night? Like, you know, so, and the more you hang out with your normal friends, the more you realize that you guys don't have much in common. They complain right. about simple stuff and it's like, you start to think to yourself that not you're better than them, but you're different from them. 
you're like, hey, you wouldn't survive as a cop. If that's a bad day for you, you wouldn't survive. And I'll have five days like this this week. So that will push you away and that will push you deeper into the thin blue line. And then that's when you get to like the Punisher skull and <laughs> it's There's like levels to the exactly, thin blue line. Oh my gosh. Yes. There are definitely <laughs> levels to the thin blue line. It like the guy that's on vacation out of town with the thin blue line shirt and the thin blue line hat and the shirt that says, I fight what you fear. And you're like, Calm down, buddy. We're at Six Flags. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely levels to the thin blue line. Um, and it may be thin, but it is definitely deep. And you will get swallowed into it. It's like a ravine. So it's like a moat. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the first episode with Deshaun. Um, we did this whole thing in one take and we didn't know that it was going to be like three plus hours. So I found a slightly less awkward, abrupt stop here for part one. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, part two is coming up next and, uh, gets, gets into a little more information about Deshaun's life and I hope you enjoy it.